welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. So, Romanos 3, 19 al 25, verse 19. Pero sabemos que todo lo que dice la ley se lo dice a los que están bajo la ley, para que todos callen y caigan bajo el juicio de Dios. Ya que nadie será justificado delante de Dios por hacer las cosas que la ley exige, pues la, la ley sirve para reconocer el pecado. Verse 21. Pero ahora, aparte de la ley, se ha manifestado la justicia de Dios, y de ello dan testimonio la ley y los profetas. La justicia de Dios, por medio de la fe en Jesucristo, es para todos los que creen en Él, pues no hay diferencia alguna. Verse 23. Por cuanto todos pecaron y están destituidos de la gloria de Dios, pero son justificados gratuitamente por su, por su gracia, mediante la redención que proveyó Cristo Jesús, a quien Dios puso como sacrificio de la expiación por medio de la fe en su sangre. Esto lo hizo Dios para manifestar su justicia, pues en su paciencia ha pasado por alto los pecados pasados. Esta es la palabra de Dios. This is the word of God. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be here together. Lord, we ask that you would speak very clearly to our hearts and our minds. Lord, may we leave here different than when we came. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. So we had a little bit of different going on today, which is pretty awesome. So for those of you, some of you know, some of you don't know, we've been taking people through the Ox Track. And the Ox Track is our, it's a year-long process of elder training. And so one of the requirements of an elder is that, it's biblically, is that they have to be able to teach. And so Scott has been going through Ox Track, and today he's going to be preaching for us. So if you would please welcome Scott Greenwald. Um, Ah, thank you. Really appreciate the encouragement. Uh, so, and since this is the first time that I'm preaching here, I thought that I would share a little bit about who I am, so, to get, so you can get to know me a little bit better. Since I am an elder candidate, and I may be serving in this community as an elder. So, when Pastor uh, Kevin suggested that I preach on something, he said that, well, I should preach on something that I was familiar with. So I thought that I would focus on a biblical doctrine that has been personally impactful to me, radically changing how I see who God is and who we are in relationship with him. And I want to share my testimony. That is my story of how I became a Christian, the story about how I first learned about God's grace and the doctrine of justification and the incredible impact that these truths have had on my life. So in short, this is a common story in many ways. It's a story about somebody who grows up ignorant, as we all do, we're born without knowledge, but then discovering truth and literally being set free by that truth. It's a story that I have shared with other churches that I have served in over the years, and I'm so grateful that I get to glorify God today by sharing it with you here. So today's scripture reading is, and Ish has already done a nice job, is actually the whole book of Romans. Okay, maybe not the whole book of Romans, but I do encourage you to read the whole book of Romans in order to underscore the meaning of today's message. And I'm not yet ready to read from it, but if you'd still keep it on your lap there, we again reading from chapter three, starting at verse 19. So just leave it open, and if I may, let me start again with my story. So I grew up in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I am the middle child of three, the typical parents. And back in the day, every Sunday we would go to church, or I would be dragged off to church. <laughs> and I would spend that hour, or whatever it was, in the sermon just getting completely bored out of my mind. 
So I would hone my coloring skills as they gave me a sheet of paper to work on and I did something. At church, I did learn some things. I learned about right and wrong. I learned about sin and punishment and heaven and hell. However, I had not learned, or I certainly never appreciated, grace or the meaning of the death of Jesus or even the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. And one summer, uh, at, the, at the end of a week, when I was in sixth grade at a vacation Bible school period, the teacher asked me to ask Jesus into my heart. So I went off into the corner somewhere and I asked Jesus to come into my heart as best as I knew how, but nothing really seemed to change. To say the least, I was an anxious child. There's probably even a medical term for it today. <laughs> but back in the day, my father simply called me his little worry wart. In fourth grade, I somehow came to worry that my parents might stop loving me. Now, I didn't think that they didn't love me, and I didn't feel like I had ever done anything that, that caused them not to love me, but for whatever reason, I just didn't know if they would continue to love me. So I would go to them and ask them, do you still love me? And of course they said that they did. And that response would relieve my anxiety, but only temporarily, as later in the day I thought maybe something's changed, maybe they love somebody else more and, and therefore me less. And this continued on day after day, and I could continue to go back to them and ask them to find that assurance. So one day, I was so concerned about asking them, do you still love me? That would literally put them over the edge and cause them to reject me. I made a decision. I decided that I would stop asking. And that was a big mistake. Because now I am locked into the thinking that their love for me is conditional. And I had anxiety always the time that I would do something that might cause them to reject me. So feeling now alone completely to be dealing with my insecurity, I had to find some way to cope with this fear of the rejection. So I reflected on how the world seemed to work around me. If people did good things, they got praised. But if people did bad things, well, they got into a lot of trouble. I was taught in church that God had given his law and that by breaking the law that was called sin, and sin deserved punishment. That is true. I believe that God was morally good, that is, he is just, and that he would need to punish sin in order to be a just ruler. That is also true. I had heard about heaven and hell, but I did not know what the entry requirements were for that. And given that I knew little, I had to assume a whole lot, and so I developed a false belief, literally a lie, that there were two types of people. There were sinners, and non-sinners. And sinners go to hell because God is mad at them for sinning. And non-sinners go to heaven because God is pleased that they did not sin. And given that, I then developed the belief that if I could just keep the rules perfectly and impress my parents sufficiently, I could justify them in their eyes and I could earn their love. And I might even make it into heaven if I could really be good enough. So now this belief system that I'm describing to you is actually fairly common. It's called self-righteousness or legalism. It's completely a lie. It's a fantasy that we invent that assumes that love is conditional and that we can control God by being good. This belief system, however, of earning a right standing with God 
whether by perfectionism, as I believed it, or by more commonly one's good deeds outweighing their bad deeds, is shared by all religions except for Christianity. This fantasy, however, is really a nightmare because if you do something wrong, you can, you can lose God's love even though you might think you can earn God's love. So here's the first point if you're the note-taking type. Legalism is Satan's pit of despair. The legalist is in bondage to the fear of failing because hell is the consequence of sin. And the legalist is always anxious because of the, cert the uncertainty of whether they're good enough. Satan loves legalism. It is an ungodly mindset. It is self-reliant, not God-reliant. It overlooks one's own imperfections, but magnifies the imperfections of others. The legalist is very proud, arrogant, even narcissistic, and denies being sinful, because that would mean that they're one of them, a sinner. Satan loves legalism. It is relationally destructive. The legalist mindset is arrogant. In fact, it literally substitutes the desire for pride over the desire for love. The legalist fears that being found imperfect by others and therefore has superficial relationships at best. And legalism has the appearance of godliness because after all, they're doing all the right things, but they're completely motivated by all the wrong reasons. Legalism is one of Satan's favorite traps because it is impossible to escape on one's own. But there is a way out. The legalist has to die first. So back to my story. During my teens and 20s, I continued a daily cycle of waking in the morning, being anxious that something's going to go wrong during the day, then spending the day working as hard as I knew how in order to make everything perfect, and then by evening, I would get a sense of uh, relief from my anxiety because I believed I had achieved whatever was necessary for that day. It was quite an emotional roller coaster ride, but then one day, the roller coaster crashed. I had resolved to be as perfect as humanly possible. I had established in my mind boundaries that no respectable person would cross. And then one evening as a senior in college, I succumbed to temptation and crossed one. Suddenly, it felt like a spear was thrust through my heart, piercing my sense of security. Immediately, I was convicted, convicted that I was no longer able to stand before God, defend myself as being morally righteous and I knew that I was open to God's just judgment and wrath, and I now became one of them, the sinners. Because of my distorted view of God and his truth, I was convicted I was going to go to hell. As I entered graduate school, because of this, my anxiety skyrocketed, and I descended into a very deep depression with a constant foreboding that I should go to hell if I were to die. And it, was hard for me, it would be hard for me to overstate to you the level of guilt, shame, and despair that I felt. My sense of security was gone. My pride in my self-identity as the good person completely destroyed. I even believed that the depression that I was experiencing was part of God's just punishment for my sin. Every day I just wanted to quit. I wanted to die. And I don't say that flippantly. The only reason I did not take my life 
was the fear that suicide would somehow send me to a deeper part of hell. One morning in class, after two years of feeling hopeless, I wondered if I should leave school because, man, I was having such a difficult time concentrating. Suddenly, I felt a warmth grow from the base of my spine upward and outward throughout my body. Then an overwhelming sense of peace just blanketed throughout me. I had a completely clear restoration of my mind. I could think completely clearly. And then, pure joy. It was so still inside of me. And then the Holy Spirit said, it is a privilege for you to be here, end quote. Then the warmth and the peace receded, and the internal noise of my despair returned, and the whole thing lasted maybe 20 seconds. I was stunned. I had always believed in God, but the fact that he spoke to me personally acknowledged that he knew me and that he cared. But although he had reached out to me, things did not get immediately better. In fact, the despair grew as the years dragged on without any relief from my guilt and shame. As I was finishing my doctorate, my academic and mentor invited me to church. And because he was a man of integrity and helped me as I was bumping along through school, I decided that I would visit Newton Presbyterian Church, where, by the way, I met my wonderful wife, Bridget. There I was invited to a Bible study with other young adults. And it was actually while I was preparing for one of our get-togethers that I read our main passage for today, which flushed out our main point. We are saved by grace, not works. Please follow along as I read it, and remember, brothers and sisters, this is the very word of our Lord. Romans chapter 3, starting at the 19th verse. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. I thought to myself, what? Did I read that right? God credits me righteousness by faith in Jesus, not from keeping the law? I read it again. Verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. Okay, God's the judge. We're all held accountable to him. I, I, I knew that. Verse 20, 
For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Wow. No one is justified by keeping the law because no one can keep it, not just me. Through the law comes knowledge of sin. I'd say the law was very good at at convicting me of my sin. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The light went on. God is providing God's own righteousness who believe in Christ. It's not my righteousness. I get credited the righteousness of God uh, by faith in Christ. Wow. I need that. You cannot imagine how great I felt that day, or maybe you do if you've also experienced this life-changing truth. For the first time in years, nearly a decade, I had a glimmer of hope. Maybe there really was some way to be free of this guilt and shame and punishment, but can it really be true? Okay, back to scripture, Paul. Break it down. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. I have to admit, I had to look up the word grace and I went to Grace Lutheran Church. That's pretty sad, huh? (laughs) Grace means unearned favor or unearned merit. So I am made right with God because God gives me his righteousness, unearned, as a gift. And if it's a gift, God must really want me to have it. Verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Holy cow, get the dictionary again. Propitiation, what does that mean? Propitiation means to appease the wrath of, or to satisfy the wrath of. So not only was my debt paid in full, but God's anger against my sin has been satisfied. And if it was God's plan to send his son to pay my debt, then whatever happened on the cross that day must have completely satisfied God. It was God's plan. It's not like there's some additional payment to be made. It's not like I pay some of it and Christ paid some of it. There is no residual anger. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. So there in my small group, I had it explained to me that when God had given Moses the Ten Commandments, he had also given this other thing called a sacrificial system that could cleanse people who broke certain laws. That was all new to me. What was it? So a priest would symbolically transfer the sin of the sinner to an animal, typically an unblemished lamb, and then kill the animal rather than killing the person for the sin which is obviously unfair to the animal. God was demonstrating in this manner that he was providing a means to atone for the sin. Using animals, however, only modeled how atonement really worked. 
and were actually unable themselves to pay for the sin. So God did what he had always purposed to do since the beginning of time. He paid for the sin by sending Jesus, the Lamb of God, Lamb of God, get it? As a sacrifice to atone for our sins. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God is just because he did not leave sins unpunished. And God is our justifier because he makes us just by crediting us, crediting us the righteousness of Christ. Verse 27, so then what becomes a boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by a law of faith. For we hold that we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul could not make it any clearer. Pride has no place because we cannot earn salvation. We are justified by faith in Christ apart from keeping the law. The doctrine that this scripture is introducing that radically changed my understanding is called the doctrine of justification. And put simply, there are two transactions that occur between Christ and the believer. First, Christ takes the debt of the believer, having known everything from all history, God knows everything in the past and the future, and therefore paid for it on the cross. And second, God takes the righteousness of Christ who lived the perfect life and, and credits it to us. Each of these is a free gift of God given to us by grace through our faith to anyone who accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior. It is by these two wonderful transactions that we can stand before God's holiness without the fear of Satan's just accusations, right? It isn't like we didn't commit the sin, and Satan can tell us that we committed the sin, and he's absolutely right that we committed the sin, but we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. That is our protection. Now to be clear, I am not saying that we are set free to go pursue sin. That's crazy, certainly not. And this is addressed in other chapters in the book of Romans. There are natural consequences of doing sin, and this certainly robs us of joy and our fruitfulness in serving God. We should do what is right, but not be motivated by the fear that we are going to get rejected if we don't, but be motivated with thanksgiving for what God has done for us in our salvation. Like a good father, take it from me. God will correct us for our good. After all, God is renewing us by the transformation of our minds to be conformed to the image of his holy son, Jesus. The discovery of this truth that God's gift of salvation through faith set me free. This good news shredded the shroud of guilt and shame that had a death grip on me. And it did take years of thinking and learning other things and studying the word of God to be completely back to my normal emotional self. But on that day in small group was the beginning of my new life. When you consider grace, you recognize it's a completely inexhaustible gift. 
When you compare the lie of legalism or self-righteousness to the truth of justification as a free gift of grace, you see that the two views are completely opposite. Legalism is a me-do-it fantasy. Justification by grace is a God-did-it reality. In legalism, you try to earn righteousness. In justification, you receive God's righteousness. Legalism drives pride and arrogance and self-glorification, but justification by grace is very humbling and is God-glorifying. Legalism is driven by fear and it creates dissension among people, whereas salvation brings peace, a common spirit, and unity among people. And most importantly, and this is a key point, legalism assumes it assumes that our relationship with God is conditional based upon our performance. But the gospel reveals that our relationship with God is unconditional. It is based on God's unchangeable decision to love us. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. So God's grace provides something that you and I desperately need assurance assurance that we are continually right before God if you have already accepted Christ as your savior then you have the means to be free of doubt and fear but do you still struggle with legalism are you plagued by a guilt of a sin that you somehow believe is absolutely unforgivable then you really should reread the book of Romans here I'll read some additional passages and just let them wash away anxiety and be filled with the peace that God intends. Chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And chapter eight, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. You've got to read this book. <laughs> the privilege that God gave me was the conviction of my sin, a humbling preparation of my heart, and the revelation of his truth. He carried me when I could not think. He protected me from myself, and he has blessed me in every aspect of my life. Looking back at my youth, you recognize that I have, like other people born, a big problem, ignorance. I did not know the mind of my parents, I did not know how deeply they loved me, and more important, I didn't know how deeply God loved me and what he had already done long before I was born to make me right with him and to secure my eternal life. Now I know, and I hope you do too. In the context of our ignorance as a child, I assumed a number of mistaken things that promoted my belief that self-righteousness was possible and even necessary to be loved. 
And while it was correct to be actually convicted and frightened that my sin put me on the wrong side of God's law, it was not correct to believe that God would not or could not help me with my problem. As you think about your own perspective, maybe you can relate to one of the more falling errors that I believed when I first learned about grace or before I first learned about grace. First, I assumed that there were two types of people. I thought we were all born sinless and those of us who had enough self-control would remain sinless while the weaker of us would eventually fall and become sinners. That's not true. We just read. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And elsewhere in, the, elsewhere in the Bible, King David laments the fact that he, like us, has been sinful since conception, since before we were born. Because we inherit a sin called a sin nature, our condition is though we are all badly infected with the same disease. And so my belief that I could somehow avoid sinning as a means of entering into heaven was just a lie. I was doomed before I even started. Thank God that Jesus provided the cure for this disease, which was his death, resurrection, and his Holy Spirit working within us, convicting us of our sin, not to punish us, but to correct us and to set us free from it. The second lie that I believed was that sinning would somehow cause God or my parents to stop loving me. The basis for this error was that I incorrectly defined what love was. I thought love meant extreme like, like, wow, I, I really, really like you, I, I love you. This, however, is not what the Bible means when it speaks of love between God and his people, or what God means when he commands us to love one another. I've learned that the simple distinction between the two of them. Like means that you prefer something, for example, you like something that you're attracted to or you want to use for your own purposes. Love, however, is completely different. Love means, or love is, an active commitment for the benefit of another person. When you like someone, you value and you are devoted to their attributes of a person, their charm, their good looks, or how well they behave and treat you. However, when you love a person, you value and you are devoted to the core essence, to their being. So you can love a person even though you don't like what they do. As, as Jesus demonstrated in loving us even though he hated our sinfulness and experienced such pain as a consequence of it. And finally, since I didn't know the difference between being liked and being loved, I didn't know the difference of being approved and being accepted. I thought I needed my parents and God to approve my performance before they would accept me. I had it backwards. The reality is that God accepts us in Christ and works within us so that our behavior is more in line with what he actually approves. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are always accepted, always, even when you mess up again. I don't know where you are in your discovery of God's truth. As Jesus said, as recorded in John chapter 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here, you have the truth. Study this, know the truth. 
I have been a believer for over 30 years and now a member of this church, and I know that it's filled with Christians like myself, broken people, saved by grace. Maybe you're hurting and confused. I've been there, many of us have, and we eagerly invite you to speak with us that, you might, that we might help carry your load and answer your questions. Our church has pastors, deacons, and small group leaders available to lend you an understanding ear and provide godly advice. We have a small group ministry that will be starting again in the fall where you can develop deep friendships and hone your understanding of God's truth. Do you yearn to be free? Get connected. It can change your life. It certainly saved mine. Let us pray. Lord God, you are a most awesome God that through your heart for us, you went through such difficulty to rescue us. I praise you and forever thank you for your truth. And I pray that each of us would just study it and learn and be set free by it. Thank you that you have not abandoned us, but you have pursued us and you have rescued us. We praise you for who you are and for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.